Let's foray into Nevada's wild spaces. This is a half an hour adventure with the Nevada Department of Wildlife. This is Nevada Wild. Here on this Welcome to Nevada Wild, brought to you by the Nevada Department of Wildlife. I am Ashley Sanchez. I'm here with Aaron Keller, and we also have our big game, no, I should say bighorn sheep guru, Mike Cox, is here with us. And I'm excited about this week. We don't do this a lot where we're kind of focusing in on a specific uh, species yeah, here species in Nevada. Yeah, species-specific podcast, yeah. Yeah. So, Mike, thank you for being here. Yes, um, I know I called you the big, was that right? Big well, I used to guru? manage all of our big game species, but uh, really couldn't do anyone justice. So we've added staff and now I'm just focused on bighorn sheep and mountain goats. So courting the, coordinating that program statewide. And I've been pretty fortunate to learn so much about bighorn here in Nevada um, that I've recently taken on a, a, another role westwide as a wild sheep working group chair nice. under WAFWA uh, that has representation from all the western states and provinces from uh, the Yukon all the way to Texas. And so um, I'm really proud to be able to do both. So moral of the story, we're lucky to have you in here joining us today because you I'm lucky to have expert. learned yeah. so much here in Nevada. <laughs> we are lucky to have had Mike <laughs> in Nevada yeah. for all these years. He's yeah, kind of sure. a big deal. Kind of a big deal. <laughs> <laughs> Get out of here. His head's getting bigger and bigger. Yeah. But it is cool. The same time that this is probably going to be aired, uh, the Meat Eater has a focused live podcast. Uh, I'm, I guess I'm plugging it Portland. from Bozeman, yeah. Montana. So Steve Ranella will have some uh, folks from the Wild Sheep Foundation, and they're going to have a live p- podcast focused on wild sheep. Nice. So, so yeah. yeah, it's going to be really cool. It's kind of the theme of the week, I guess. So, well, let's start off with history. A bit. There's so much to talk about today, so why not just start off with the history? Yeah, we have Mike here who's, you know, wealth of knowledge, and he's been on That's the ride like, the whole time. That's where where do we even yeah. start? Let's start from the beginning. Well, um, we wrote uh, a management plan back in 2001, and we, we attempted to collect some of that history. Um and it is it is kind of cool to have uh, explorers that went through Nevada and documented, you know, seeing bighorn sheep all across the entire hillside uh, above Pyramid Lake and uh, northern Nevada. And uh, so we we actually during that process estimated we had over thirty thousand bighorn sheep in Nevada, probably conservative based on uh, the historic ranges they were in, water sources and densities. And uh, by, so what happened then was uh, our ancestors went across the west from Pennsylvania and Illinois and were trying to find a place to graze this and mine that. And there was a lot of disturbances. Uh, We had over harvest and Probably one of the biggest impacts to our bighorn sheep, where we had a huge decline, as did the whole West, was uh, the impacts from disease that were brought in from domestic sheep. So um, 
we probably went from 30,000 plus to as low as two to 3,000 in the wow. 1960s. And um, that kind of mirrored Westwide where we probably had reports are from one to two million, maybe more bighorn sheep uh, in southern Canada and throughout the uh, western U.S. And then we went probably as low as 30 to 40,000. Wow. Uh, in that same time frame. And so we actually are, um, and we'll get into how we got here, but today we have 12,000 in nice. Nevada. And that's something that not only our biologists are proud of, our sportsmen, all the NGOs and our partners that worked hand-in-hand with us, uh, the land management agencies, the BLM, Forest Service, Park Service, U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service. So just a huge team effort that has gone into um, looking back at history and having what we have today. And yeah. so when you talk about the, the 12,000, so we have 12,000, roughly 12,000 sheep in Nevada. Yep. What kind, like, let's kind of break it down. Like, what kind of sheep do we have? I mean, we have, I've heard people say that we have the, m- do we have the most in the lower 48? We do. Um, probably the other states that are close to us are uh, Colorado, and they're around 7,000. Mm-hmm. Uh, Wyoming has about five. Um, so That's uh, something to be proud of here in Nevada. Yeah. I didn't realize yeah. it's been that. A, it's I feel like it is really, I don't know, it makes me it's really It's been excited. silent. You yeah. Know, we, we, we've done it very uh, just humbly. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, like, wow, wh- where are you guys, where are you from, Nevada? You got lots of big horn? Yeah. yeah. So, um, so of the 12,000, um, we reached, you know, I, I think a 10,000. Everyone thinks of 10,000. That, that's quite a, a accomplishment for anything. So we reached 10,000 uh, two years ago here in Nevada of desert bighorn sheep. And uh, so that was pretty exciting to see that, that our estimates. We have about 2,000 California bighorn sheep that live mostly in the northwestern part of the state. And then uh, we have a few scattered Rocky Mountain bighorn that are struggling, unfortunately, due to continued disease issues and pneumonia events. Probably only around 250 of those. And and I just want to let everybody know that historically – we we know now because of some of the um, new technology in genetics and genomics that uh, the entire state was desert bighorn sheep um, prior to white man showing up. So from the Snake River Plains in southern Idaho to the Sierra Nevada, all the way to the Wasatch in Utah, and all the way down to the Colorado River was all the same species, but they all adapted to the different environments, whether it was living on the Colorado River with 110 degrees in the summer and rarely seeing a a white snowflake coming out of the (laughs) sky in the winter to sheep living above 11,000 feet in central and northern Nevada having to deal with bitter cold temperatures and huge snow depths and predators. So uh, anyway, so that's kind of the makeup of bighorn sheep in Nevada, and they are scattered across the entire state. and And I've I've written about this in popular periodicals, but Nevada is so well adapted. Its topography, 
the basin and range state that we are with small valleys, narrow valleys, and these narrow mountain ranges uh, are just w so well suited to our state animal, the desert bighorn sheep. I feel like that's something else that's really cool here is just that they are spread all over. Aren't we the only one that has them all across the state? Is Colorado probably would be the only oh, okay. one that would be similar to us. So they've got mountain ranges that mm -hmm. are scattered. But they have a huge prairie on the east side of the state. So, yeah, I, I think you're right, Ashley, that, that we we are mountainous mm -hmm. from, right. from Denio... <laughs> uh, all the way to um, Jack uh, Jackpot to Laughlin, yeah, and everything in between. Yeah, yeah. I don't know if people realize that. So we are well, we are the most mountain <laughs> yeah. state. We have 314 different mountain ranges. I yeah. feel like we're this podcast can be all about bragging about Nevada. <laughs> now. Uh, I don't care. We have the most. We sheep, might as well. The we're, <laughs> the, we're the only state that has. Three kinds of bighorn sheep, right? Utah finally they oh, they, they followed suit. They copied us. Yeah, right. But but okay. I, I love them. But they copied <laughs> us. <laughs> so yeah, it yeah. is all about bragging about us. That's why we do this. <laughs> right. And so <laughs> I guess what are what are some of the things that have kind of led to us being able to restore these sheep all across the state? Well, there's there was I mean there's so many different things. But yeah, there was some visionary people in our agency, which is at the time was Nevada Fish and Game Commission. Um, and the Fraternity of the Desert Bighorn Sheep is a nonprofit organization in Clark County, Las Vegas, that started in the 1960s. Right. And they saw the need. They saw impacts occurring. They saw water resource issues that were impacted. And um, it was these visionary biologists and sportsmen in the 1960s and 50s, really, that saw the need to protect bighorn sheep and to restore them. And uh, so there was lots of trial and error back then in terms of capture methods. We knew we had some source populations that were doing well. We call them remnant native herds down around Las Vegas and Clark County. Um, and uh, we used those to... Uh, repopulate many of the desert bighorn sheep herds in Nevada. But when you when you look at northern Nevada, it looks like the Rocky Mountains. Um, and then we've got some canyon lands in the northwest part of the state that look like British Columbia. And so we ended up um, trying to, uh, to use the species that were most suited to the landscape and the habitat and the, the uh, weather, the climate. Right. So we've We've reached out to Canadian provinces and other states in the United States to use source stock to bring back to Nevada. And it's just been this huge partnership uh, that know no boundaries because sheep know no boundaries. Mm -hmm. And um, so we have relationships. Our biologists that are retired will tell you friendships they still have with biologists in British Columbia and, and throughout the West. So um, those... The need uh, to learn about uh, more efficient capture methods. So we we probably captured um, a couple thousand sheep before we started using helicopters, just using drop nets and panel traps, baiting in them with water and apple mash. Um, did it during the heat of the summer because the animals just walk in. There wasn't any animals that were running 
away from helicopter. Now it, we've perfected the use of the helicopter. Uh, we try to use those capture, do those captures in the fall when it's cooler. And um, yeah, we've we've captured um, well over three thousand animals. Wow! And uh, typically awesome. twenty to thirty animals is a complement. Uh, and we've had sometimes over a hundred people at a capture. Mm-hmm. We'll have yeah. school kids from bu- and busloads of school kids and and um, tons of sportsmen that get to handle the animals and help work with our biologists and our veterinarians and processing the animals. Uh, but probably one of the biggest partnerships that we've had okay. is uh, restoring water. We are the driest state in the union, and a lot of our uh, uses on the landscape in Nevada has impacted the water sources. And we don't have a lot of creeks and springs. They're just uh, we or creeks and rivers. We have these little individual spring sources. Right. I think that's one thing that uh, Nevada is the driest state in the union so uh-huh. that is one thing that we i mean even even being dry we're the best at doing that yeah so <laughs> unfortunately we're running out of time for the first half of the show we will be right back so we could get into a lot more great we were back If you enjoy listening to our podcast, leave us a review on iTunes and SoundCloud. For more information on hunting, fishing, boating, and all things wildlife, go to endow.org. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to Nevada Wild. Before the break, we were talking all about bighorn sheep, and we were getting into water resources, water development. Do you just kind of want to pick up where we left off? Yeah, and so... Uh, we've got this great partnership that we've had since the 60s with all the uh, different NGOs. And, and I'm just going to name a few. Uh, up north, we've got the Nevada Bighorns Unlimited Reno chapters, Fallon and Midas chapters. We also have Elko Bighorns Unlimited. And I mentioned earlier the fraternity of the Desert Bighorn. Their their focus is really guzzlers, water, water development, and in the early days, a lot of trial and error, um, but we the basic concept is to collect rainwater, snow, melt, and then uh, have that go into a storage con- container tank and then have a drinker. And uh, the first drinkers actually had a float ball like your toilet at home. Oh. Right, yeah, like in your tank. Yeah, so it would it would keep uh, the level of you know these huge tanks have anywhere from five to ten thousand gallon capacity, and that's been enhanced over the years. But the uh, the drinker is small because we don't want we want to minimize uh, the uh, water evaporation. So uh, they needed something to to make sure it didn't flow all flow out. But they uh, would break when it froze. And so we lost a lot of water, and we lost a lot of man time. And so over the years, we've improved on the drinker such that it's um, there is no plumbing. And so they, instead of having these big, tall tanks that have to go into a small drinker, everything is plumbed and leveled the same. So the drinker is the same level 
is the tanks. We have these low-profile tanks that get buried. Right. In fact, you don't even see the tanks anymore because they're under the apron, which has also been enhanced in terms of its capacity to get and collect more rainwater. When an event happens, you want to collect as much as you can. Most of the aprons now are typically like uh, 40 feet by 50 feet, and then you'll have a gutter system on the bottom, dumps it into the tanks that are buried under the apron, uh, and then that runs to uh, a pipe to the to the drinker, mm-hmm. and uh, we fence the uh, the uh, apron off for everybody so that nothing gets in there, even the bighorn, and then we put typically a pipe rail fence around the drinker, which allows wildlife in, <coughs> but restricts uh, livestock, horses that would drink it dry in just a couple days. Right. Yeah, I saw my first guzzlers for the first time since I've lived yeah. in Nevada a few weeks ago, and it was pretty cool how they work. Um, I had no idea what went into it. Yeah, there's been some videos done uh, that are time-lapsed of yeah. from the morning to the afternoon yep. of the bu- of building of it. And, again, the partnerships, you'll typically have 50 to 100 people working on those, and from – Five-year-old kids to seventy-five-year-old guys and and women and children and it's just an awesome experience to be a part of it. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. we have currently approximately two hundred and two water developments built specifically for bighorn sheep. Wow! And it it really is like we couldn't do this without partners. Funding, yeah. slave labor, well, sec- <laughs> sweat equity, <laughs> slave labor. All right. But they are so dedicated. Um, they, they, it's just, it's just great to be a part of it. And when you see forty, fifty, sometimes a hundred sheep on that in in the heat of the summer, you know how critical and important it is. Mm-hmm. Right. And there's sometimes when we're out on guzzlers and sheep are waiting for us to get done. You know, like so they can come down and get a drink because yeah. that water's so valuable in certain parts of Nevada. And like Mike said, we want them to get done. And then that first event, you know, usually can at least give them something to mm-hmm. want to catch everything. So the the overall idea of water developments or guzzlers hasn't changed a whole lot. But the design, I mean, they've honed in on that design. It's it's pretty cool to see now, even in my career how far water developments have come and just the advancements making it nicer, making, you know, the the fencing, the pipe rail fencing. I mean, I remember when we didn't even do that. So, yeah, so it's really cool. And those guzzlers, they really do, I mean, keep those populations alive. They couldn't. Yeah, we certainly like to them. augment the existing uh, water, natural water sources, but we do have a few populations that are completely solely uh, committed to drinking out of the guzzlers and uh and there's been a lot of math that goes into calculating um how much rain typically falls and how much storage you need and how much water sheep drink and so it's great it's great and um so anyway on top of their partnerships with us on water developments um we talked a little bit about our bighorn sheep captures and um, the restoration efforts that we have done, um, again, to go from we were down to two to 3,000, now we're up to 12,000, couldn't have been done without the partnership of all those groups that I mentioned earlier. And um, they love to come out, as we do, general public, 
you know, we'll have volunteer programs uh, online that you can sign up for, and you'll drive out and you'll participate. But um, the funding that they have they have come through time and time again to help pay for the helicopter is a costly venture, and the the GPS collars we put out and the disease testing, and so it's just a. Uh, you know, I didn't think when I started this career that I would be part of this huge family and have all these brothers and mm-hmm. sisters helping us restore uh, our state animal. It's just yeah, awesome. Yeah, that has to be really cool. And uh, speaking on this big family, um, in the speak or I can't speak <laughs> in the <laughs> sheep captures, um, how can people get involved in these? Weren't you saying, Hiller, that this is something that people can come and help and it's a great experience? Yeah, for sure. There's a bunch of ways people get involved as far as volunteering. Um, I just got an email that says we got an upcoming um, guzzler build, so a water development build. If people want to come out and help with that, they can kind of see what we're talking about. All they have to do is go online to our website, sign up as a volunteer, and then we'll send them all the information, and uh, they can come out and, and kind of see what we were talking about, the from the apron to the guzzler, or the uh, gutter to the tanks to you know the drinker, how it all works. And then, Mike, we were talking earlier about cheap captures. I think uh, one of the most powerful things that a volunteer, I mean, it's just cool the first time you get to lay your hands on a living bighorn sheep and feel it breathe and feel how hot their horns get and all this, like, the biology of a bighorn sheep, and it's right there in front of you. Yeah, it's it's amazing. Um, I never get tired of captures. Mm-hmm. I want to be on every one. I probably handled, you know, well over 500 bighorn, but... We typically will have our capture season start in October, and uh, we're doing captures for disease surveillance uh, to help us better understand their home range, um, the forays that the rams do. Uh, They're no different than teenage boys (laughs) wanting to go off and uh, see the world. And um, they're, uh, but they sometimes can get in trouble. So we're we're trying to mark some of those. And then we haven't been doing a lot of translocations um, and augmenting or and reintroducing sheep. But I think we're going to have one or two of those this year. So we'll typically post on our website uh, these opportunities, these volunteer opportunities. Mm-hmm. We may limit the number, you know, ten, twenty people. Uh, but we may have a few more on some of the groups. So um, we'll try to alert people when those are coming out. But I would say if you want to try to start looking at our volunteer page in mid-October, you might start seeing some of those bighorn capture opportunities. And if you haven't been to one, um, you talk to someone who went for the first time, and they are blown away. So it's a really cool. As I you were one, last one in November, and now I, I – I've been wanting to go to another one. <laughs> and, and yeah, we, it's pretty mind-blowing. And we try, to, we try to give jobs and tasks to as many volunteers as we can. Yeah, they're, do- they're actually doing the biology, like the scientific yeah, collection, right? Because I went to get video, but then by the end of the day, I had, like, plenty of video, so then I got in on it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Sometimes we're, we don't have a lot of volunteers that want to collect the poop. Hey, you know, (laughs) but it's important. Our group was everyone there wanted to take part in something. Yeah, you got everybody rotates through and gets to do something. So, yep, yep. So uh, it's a great experience. 
So you were talking about um, like tra- tra- trap and transplant, right? That that whole program and how that's kind of come along. But um, one thing I kind of want to touch on in this podcast is our like how we use telemetry and how you've been able to kind of leverage that to to find out more information and and kind of explain that process. Well, um, we've been flying in a helicopter since the seventies to do a lot of our big game surveys, including bighorn. In fact, bighorn was probably the first species that we used the helicopter to kind of um, to help us identify what's going on. We want to know how the lambs are doing and where they live and where they summer and where they winter, some of the corridors they use to go from there to there. And um, we only look at them once every two years. So... When we started getting the advancements of collars that actually communicate with satellites and then uh, provide us that data in real time, we have been able to really improve our knowledge of where they summer, where they want to be, where they don't want to be, and that helps us with the land management agencies um, when there's a uh, proposed action, whether it's a mine, a transmission line, um, s- uh, solar, you know, uh, alternative energy. We can go to uh, the land management agencies and say, "Hey, we have this data that says these bighorn not only want to be here, but th- there's really no other opportunity for them to do their thing. Whether it's their lambing period, their rut, their rutting season, and um, here's the data, the hard data, and that hard data, the points and the lines on a map." are are really hard for for people to uh not or for people to ignore and mm-hmm. so it's really right. been successful in arguing our point for land conservation habitat conservation well mike thank you for all the work you do and thank you for being here to share and yeah, talk yeah i it. think uh, maybe we'll maybe we'll look at doing another podcast just on telemetry There's you're so doing much so many about. different cool things with telemetry in the le- in the last few years that i think we could almost do a whole podcast just on that. Yeah, we can yeah, for sure. Yeah. yeah, you could keep listening to our Nevada Wild podcast on SoundClouds and iTunes. Thanks for listening today. us again next week for our next adventure, Nevada Wild. It's a production of the Nevada Department of Wildlife. <laughs>